You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Is Brandon Jaggers the type of owner that that trainers dread is he the type of guy <laughs> that calls every day it's like hey i want to work this horse five furlongs instead of four i want to change jockeys i want to put blinkers on what, what what's brandon like to deal with brandon jaggers i think dan glip keeps leash uh pretty tight on him <laughs> and me cc brought us it's a little known secret brandon actually has a a, a life-size poster of you in his bedroom <laughs> this isn't this, this isn't a joke <laughs> the auxiliary gate big problem Welcome to episode number 139 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. It is Tuesday evening, March 28th, 2023, and I'm joined by the man who was lucky enough to pick three out of the final four in his NCAA tournament bracket. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I'd be, I'd be a little bit better to pick uh, the Triple Crown for the next 10 years uh, to do that right. I mean, if you get two, you should have you should have catched like four out of five in a powerball. It was just it was impossible. And I knew it would be. It's quite the uh random event these days and stuff, but still I mean if you watch much of it, it's been it's been a lot of fun, I won't lie. I've watched all of it. I love it. Yeah, it's I'm been talking great. I'm speaking of course of Alan Schneider. I didn't get that in, but Oh, that people know. I mean they, some of those people know, so Well, household name. Yeah, uh, we do have a couple household names with us tonight, right? We we brought the best of both worlds, horse racing and basketball here. Kind of a pure March, kind of April kind of thing here in Kentucky. Replacing Brandon Jaggers, and I believe uh, you were instrumental in getting this done. We we Any chance we can replace Brandon is usually a good thing. <laughs> yes. And Love you, Brandon. We're happy to bring aboard Caitlin Free. Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Always nice to come on and hop on and, I guess, be there when Brandon can't. That would be most of the time. <laughs> we can't afford to pay you most of the time, so, or any of the time, right? <laughs> I'll make sure my schedule's clear accordingly. Yeah, well, I guess I'll start off here with you, Caitlin. But, you know, we, uh, we've we got someone else coming on later, but we wanted to get uh, Caitlin on because, we all know this is a Kentucky pack house. We all know that I love Turfway, and Caitlin does an amazing job at Turfway, and she was their big weekend uh, last week, and she did some yeoman's work there, so to speak, running a, the one-man show. Uh, first off, congratulations on that. I mean, that was a hell of a deal you pulled off, number one, before we get going anything else, so congratulations. Thank you. I, I definitely appreciate it, and it, it was a little rough around the edges. There's definitely some things. We can work on, and I'll maybe need a little bit of help with some technical things. But as Joe Christofek said to you kind of earlier when we talked about it a few days ago, he was like, you know, great dress rehearsal for Derby because that's going to be insane too here in about five weeks. That is true, and it's prep season for it's prep season for everybody, not just the horses, but for the Joe Christofek, the Scotch Apparel, the Caitlin Freeze, and so on and so forth of the world, right? So that's, that you got a good tightener in there, ready to go, ready to go the distance in a couple of weeks, right? I think so. I think I've got 
a, a pretty good prep race and I had had a little taste of it before I mean obviously but definitely I think that was a prep that will kind of have me drilled down and ready to go and nice 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 horse racing analogies let's talk about something that you know you and I talk about turfway a lot and something that you and I have in common I think we've been on a bit of a bandwagon for a while so let's go ahead and brag on you on me CC likes the horse too we got we got to talk about botanical yeah. In the Bourbonette Oaks. So we've been high on the horse for a while. I know you've been high on the horse for a while. We had Brad on last week and he was high on the horse. Mm-hmm. And going back, uh, you know, Turfways get this, this notion that it's a lesser track, but they've, they've been putting good horses into the, into the, the Triple Crown series. And I think on the Philly side, they've got a major, major contender going forward in botanical. She looked every bit the part the other day. What do you think? I agree. I actually, um, for this week, just released my Derby and Oaks top 10, and she's number one. And people were like, oh, well, there might be a little bit of recency bias there, or a little bit of hometown bias. And I'm like, no, she's number one for a reason, because she's so versatile. She can come from off the pace. She can set the pace. And they left her alone up front there um, in the Bourbonette Oaks. And Chris could have honestly come from off the pace with her, but they left her alone. And they went all the way, and he really didn't even have to ask her very hard. I didn't think Flashy Jim Stablemate ran a, you know, a really big race. And I asked Blake, Brad's son, after he was there, and I wanted to um, interview him about him. And then he had me interview Tessa, which she's the um, kind of the turfway located uh, person that takes care of Brad String. And Blake's like, I don't know enough about her. He said, but I know my dad really, really likes her. And I said, yep, we've chatted about her before, and I've always liked her, and she, she's done nothing wrong. She did well mm-hmm. on the turf. You know, obviously, translating the dirt's going to be, a, you know, they'll they'll see how she does training over the surface at um, Churchill on dirt, but she's got a dirt pedigree. Who's she by? Uh, she's by Medallia Dora out of a blame mare. Oh, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. No. <laughs> I wouldn't think. <laughs> no, so that's kind of my thinking. Uh, Really, the only thing that I could maybe see being an issue would be the distance. Uh, but she kind of reminds me of Echo Zulu a little bit. Really? You know, yeah. I can see. You know, um, one of the things that I've been so high on botanical is because when you see Brad Cox's good ones at Turfway, his good three-year-old fillies, his good three-year-old colts, they just have a, a look apart from the rest of the horses. They look professional. They look huge. They uh they look composed, and every time this horse is broke from the gate, as soon as the race is, gets up 200 yards out of the gate, it's like, it's over. It's, you can just right. tell. Ears are pricked. They look professional the whole way around, and then you see them throw up a 24-1 and one or 48-2. and two. It's like you can start walking in the window. Um, but, yeah, I do believe botanicals really good. I hope to see Chris Landerals keep the mount they do make to the Oaks. So, I mean, the, you probably don't know anything about that, do you? No, I really haven't heard much about it, but, I mean, he's, he's hopeful. Um, Chris is a good friend of mine, and – I think he's really, really hopeful. It would be amazing if they did because, you know, there's definitely going to be some in there for Pletcher, others in there for Brad. So I don't, you know, want to, jinx, want to jinx myself, but I I don't see why I don't he either. wouldn't keep them out. He's done nothing wrong on her. He's done everything that they have asked. And I, I think pretty much anybody could ride her almost. Yeah. He said, you know, I just put her where I think, she's going to have the best chance and just let her go. And I mean, I mean really, yeah, he only had to get after her just a tiny bit in the bourbon at Oaks. But other than that, she's done everything in hand and done yeah. and worked really, really well with Chris. I maintain that Chris fits his, his really nice horse as well. I'm sure Chris, Chris would probably agree with that. Yeah. Cause 
that's a nice little cash cow he's got there. But let's talk real quick about the the runner up who I had never put a whole lot of stock into in Flashy Jim, but and I know behind the top two wasn't the best field behind him when the, the Brendan Walsh Ural didn't run very well. But I, I thought Flashy Jim kept trying, and that horse was on a bit of a roll herself. Is this a horse we might be have sleeper status in the Oaks if, if she gets there? She definitely could be one that's like that. She kind of reminds me last year of Goddess of Fire. Goddess of Fire didn't mm-hmm. run, you know, as well as I thought she would. But she could definitely be one that could fill out a super. And she'll be one, I think, that'll translate back to the dirt and be just fine. But I thought that was a great prep race in there for her first time. I believe she'd been on the synthetic. I can't remember um, if she had any other experience at Turf I didn't think so. But I also can't think off the top of my head because I was, you know, so focused on botanical and uh, – the first time starter from um, France, right? But she ran exceptional. But there was there was going to be no way she was going to reel in botanical. But I mean, she got decently close to her, and I mean, the numbers and figures for that race came back solid, oh, way yeah. higher than where they ran in the Fairgrounds Oaks. So let me ask you this: with that in mind, um, again, you know, Turfway Homers, we admit it, right? Turfway mm-hmm. Homers. There's, I, I got to think there's at least a, a puncher's chance that we talk about botanical winning the Oaks. Why can't Larry Ravelli and two fills win the Kentucky Derby with that performance? That that field was better than people think it is. Fantastic again is going to win a lot of races. Wadsworth is going to win a lot of races. Uh, the uh, the favorite major dude for Pletcher ran better than I expected him to. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a pretty soft field. Why can't why can't two fills win the Kentucky Derby? I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying he's a player. Oh, he's absolutely a player. And I know people will poo-poo it, saying it was on the synthetic. And um, I had a chance to speak to Jason Bean the other day, and he said, I don't think we will ever have a scenario where we have a Kentucky Derby favorite that comes out of the Jeff Groovy. He said, but, I mean, obviously this is a race that needs to be taken seriously. But, I mean, the effort from two fills, he just was effortless over the surface. Larry Velli sent him up there to see how he trained on it. He trained exceptional on it so we decided to leave him on it for the race and I mean once again I expected that race to be fast and it wasn't fantastic again was out there by himself but I mean two fills just blew right by and had a great turn of foot on the surface and I believe uh Brisnet and buyer speed figures that's the highest uh number that has turned up out of a three-year-old race so far this year so that that's the breast prep race so far I mean yeah the farthest one distance wise it came up the fastest I mean Kings Barnes was also visually impressive, and I really like Kings Barnes based on what he did down in uh, Louisiana, but that race was slow. The Jeff Ruby, that was an extremely solid time on the synthetic. I think they went faster than they did in the Kentucky Cup Classic. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was impressive. I mean, you know, I come back to, like, when we sometimes we, you know, I'm a, I, I, I know my handicapping style. I know what I look for, and I'm good at it. But sometimes you just go with what the look. You just go, you let your eyes tell you sometimes. I thought my eyes were pretty impressed by both botanical and two fills in that race. So I'm looking forward to seeing them in Louisville. I hope they both get there in one piece and, and hope everything goes well for them because I'm excited to see them go. Um, before, before we get to CC, I know I want to ask about some other prep races real quick. Um, how's the Turfway meet overall been for you? I mean, I've loved it. I, again, people get tired of me hearing me saying, I know CC gets tired of me saying it. But I just, I just love the racing there. I think it's the best product in the world. Um, have you enjoyed it as much as I probably have? Well, you've been getting paid to do it, so mm. you probably do. 
Yeah, I, I've enjoyed it, and I agree. I think it's definitely the best overall winter bedding product because I know there's a ton of people that, you know, don't like synthetic, but the turquoise synthetic, you just have Ice to fair. understand it. Yeah. It's very weather-factored. Um, so based on the temperatures, you're kind of going to be able to gauge how it's going to play. Sometimes there can be a little bit of a mystery, but, I mean, if you want low takeout, if you want full fields, if you want good horses, then I, I don't understand why people would have a problem with it because it's especially better this year with the way the purses have been raised. But, I mean, there's so little turf opportunities. Yes. All of the all of the turf horses are here. I mean, you saw it in the um, the Kentucky Cup Classic. I mean, Stanton was in there and a few other you know, grade, graded stakes caliber horses. Wolfie's Dynagos won the thing. And I, those are, those horses weren't running on the turf at Gulfstream. So, yeah. you know, I have a, a touch of a fear with that too. And that fact that it's, it's a gym that people are learning about the money's good. And some other trainers and jockeys may come in and start forcing out some of these guys that, that winter there and start taking some of their opportunities because the money is good. I do believe it's on the way up. And I'm a little concerned that some of our buddies, Trainers and jockeys may, uh, they may get some more company as the years go. I hope it stays, the colony stays what it is. I do expect something like that, but that just, the, the arrow's going up for them, so. Yeah, yeah it, it was very evident based on, um, the types of trainers there that had a really established strings. Greg Foley had a string there for the first time. Brendan Walsh had a very big string there. Brad's string is bigger than it usually is. Um, I'm trying to think of some others. Wesley Ward always has his contingent Wesley, maker. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Makers had a ton of horses there this year, and Paul Holova was kicking some tail, wasn't he? He was. He was. He had plenty of. I think he had most of his horses there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they were just kind of going places, but they were kind of based there in the um, Keeneland facility since Churchill just opened up for being year round again, I guess. But or no, Churchill was Churchill was year round uh, for training wise. But the barns just started getting horses back in, I believe, today. But, yeah, it was kind of the place to be if you were going to have horses anywhere in Kentucky. And, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the races produced Rich Strike last year. But I think so many people forget that we also had the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint winner come out of our races last year. That's where she started off her season two for Brad Cox. That is true. That's right, Caravelle. You are you mm-hmm. are right. Hmm. Hmm. See? It's like we're in, we're in on something that other people are catching in on. So yeah, we'll they're we'll they're catching on very quickly. Yeah. Take it away, C Sizzle. Let's uh, take a look at the big picture for the Kentucky Derby, which is now just over five weeks away. Mm-hmm. And there was four major prep races over the weekend. I want you to rank, because we've already talked about the uh, Jeff Ruby Stakes. So I want you to rank those four prep races. From uh, one through four, I, I think we all know what the fourth one is. Yeah, can I wheel? Can I wheel the one in fourth? Who she's going to pick? Can I just yeah, wheel it? I'm going to box the other three on top. In fact, what was yeah. what was the fourth one? Well, I was yeah, thinking first. the Sunland Park Derby. Oh yeah, 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 that one's fourth <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. that that race fell apart yeah. like a soup I, sandwich. I didn't like even watch that race, and then I saw what happened after the fact, and I was like, mm, mm, you yeah. Know. So go ahead and rank the other three. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead and rank the the Louisiana Derby, Jeff Ruby, and the uh, UAE Derby. I would definitely say the Jeff Ruby would be on top for me because it it spoke for itself. Very impressive performances. Good group of horses really lined up for that race, and the time, the buyer speed figures, the brisnet speed figures really 
you know, kind of solidified that the time was what it was. It was solid time for the surface, and two fills took to it really well. And I think that group's going to go on to pretty big things. It was, I mean, the group last year was pretty good too. This one, I think, was even better. Um, and then, really, for me, it's kind of hard between the UAE Derby and the Louisiana Derby. The time for the Louisiana Derby, it was a slow race, but also Kings Barnes did everything they asked him to do. He was totally unchallenged and just kind of ran away with the thing. He didn't need to go fast. So we'll see kind of what we see from him in the future. And then the UAE Derby, for me, I always love my Japanese contingent, but (laughs) I think this is a year that is so much – Unlike any other year, this is a year that is so wide open, and the Japanese are sending their best horses. These are these are horses that uh, Derma Saragake and Dura Erod, um those were horses that had big fanfare going on to the Japanese Triple Crown. I mean, the latter one, the horse that finished second, he was coming off of a decently long layoff. That was his first start, and I thought he ran well to get second, but he was a multiple grade one winner on the grass that had some dirt experience and like, yeah, we don't want to go to the Japanese triple crown. We want to send these horses on an expressway trip to Louisville. So yes, the UAE Derby winner doesn't always, you know, factor in well. Um, but sometimes the horses that finish in second, third will sometimes do okay. Um, but I, obviously I think that Japan is slowly learning from their mistakes. These horses are going to be flying in on April 5th. They're going to go straight from Dubai to here. I think they're going to learn not to train them the way they train Crown Pride um, and have them way too keyed up. And there's going to be three, potentially four of them. And, you know, whether people like it or not, they're not going to finish 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th. Right. Somebody's going to run in the top 10. It's just kind of figuring out which one. So I don't, I don't really know how the UAE Derby will fit in this year because usually it's never really a factor, but this, Horse crop right now, three-year-olds, is so wide open that when I make my top fives or my top tens, I have a trouble even getting to ten because I'm like, okay, there's, you know, four or five big 100-point prep races left, but I'm like, who do I actually think can win this race? And that list is very small. And so I, I really think that some of those horses could end up being a factor as long as they're not trained to keep up. I think they learned their lesson from last year. And then, you know, we have to think um, they're going to bring another one into the Santa Anita Derby next week. So Japan could potentially qualify four different horses for this year. So I I know that's what they're looking for. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, we saw what they did in Saudi. We saw what they did in Dubai. So I I think this race is going to slowly become a little bit more relevant. Maybe not this year, but I think it's well on its way to becoming a little bit more relevant, but and the running of it this year was really, really good. So we will see, but uh, you Sunland Derby is like way down there. I <laughs> seriously doubt that horse. I know they nominated him late to the triple crown. So, I mean, maybe they will come, but I 10,000 to one, 10,000 to one. Yeah. He's in. Under, he's, he's in. They, they nominated him today or yesterday and he's, he's earned the 50 points. So that if they want to go, he's, he's good to go. Yeah, and with the the fact that they paid six thousand dollars, I would say they are going to go. Yeah, um, and so we'll see. But uh, you make Rich Strike look like Aladar. I mean, li- literally a firm. Yeah. So but. I mean, you may never. They'll never probably have another Kentucky Derby horse. I don't think the horse belongs. But good for them. I mean, yes. good for them. I agree. 
Derma Sotagake is the horse that won the UAE, UAE Derby. It's a son of mind your biscuits. Not, I know. Yeah, that that's I mean he's one of the top sires in Japan, right? I mean not a top sire, but he's uh, of the of the newer crop of sires. He's he's at the top end, right? Yeah, he's, he's a sprinter, right? Yeah, he was champion freshman sire over in Japan and he would have been extremely underappreciated here, same way with Drafong. Drafong was champion freshman sire last year and the horse I believe that ran second, uh or there was another horse Continuar, the horse that ran third, he's a Drafong. So they're all right. bred by sprinters out of kind of long distance turf mares, and hey, it works. <laughs> now, mind your biscuits, kind of stretched out though at mm-hmm. the end of his career. I know he ran in some several New York races. He no, he ran in the Mid Mile. The right? Cup Classic. Yeah. Okay. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the uh, uh, the year Sadler won it with. Uh, I can't remember the name of the Accelerate, horse. Accelerate, I think. Accelerate, right? That was that was my yeah. Mind your biscuits was in that race. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was because he he could stretch out to the one turn mile. Definitely the classic distance was pushing it in some two turn miles. So, and I mean he's bred you know to be a little bit more of a longer distance horse. He just wasn't. Um, but I don't see why the distance would be a problem for that horse. The connections kind of hinted that they were a little bit surprised he got the distance as easily as he did, which is kind of why I'm a little bit more interested in the second place horse maybe than Dermis Setagake because. He did. He ran really well to finish second off of about a five month layoff, and he's just going to keep getting better. And he's the one that's won a couple Grade Ones, so right. but it was both of them, honestly. So you're going to get a lot of pushback if you like a UAE Derby winner because that that race has really not produced anything mm-hmm. outside of maybe Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn, obviously, he he was roughed up in the Derby, right? But he did win, and I think he ran second in the Travers later that summer. I, I uh, but, the, but go ahead. I think the best finish that the UA Derby had, it was fifth, and it was the Animal Kingdom year, and it was Master of Hounds. But I, right. this year kind of reminds me of the Animal Kingdom. I mean, yes, we have a forte in there, but there's there there's just a very even line of these horses. There's nobody that's better than the other, maybe right now except for Forte. And, you know, I, I don't think it will happen. Forte's got a chance to maybe get a little bit exposed this weekend with that Possibly. side post-position draw, and I i mean, he's definitely number one on my derby list, and I think he's number one pretty much on everybody's list, but I mean, how far really is he ahead of than everybody else? Mm-hmm. Well, let's turn our attentions to this weekend, because uh, we do have the Florida Derby and the Arkansas Derby, both coming this Saturday, and Forte drew number 11 of 12, and that's not the longest run in the first turn for the Florida Derby, but Great horses like Big Brown and Barbaros have been able to win from outside posts. So I, I and I don't think Forte's facing the best, uh, the deepest Florida Derby field ever. So yeah, I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So yeah, what, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, he's obviously the one you have to default. I don't think there's any way you could try to beat him in here. I think he will win, but it, it's definitely not going to be easy. There's, there's a couple horses I'm interested in underneath. I think not a full star that was just recently nominated to the triple crown. He's kind of got that closer profile. I think he could be, you know, have run a similar race that maybe um, charge it ran in the Florida Derby last year, maybe still be a little bit green, but we'll kind of close on there for an impressive second. But I I have a really hard time seeing Forte losing this race. And I don't know, you can't just default hand him the Derby because the Derby is the Derby. It's unlike any other race. He's going to, you know, face some adversity in there. And I think it's 
I think it's a good thing that he's going to face some adversity this weekend. It kind of gives a little bit of makes it a little bit interesting. Right. And then, of course, in, in Hot Springs, we've got uh, the horse that uh, Forte defeated in the Fountain of Youth, uh, Rocket Can. And he's mm-hmm. facing Reincarnate, who had a pretty rough trip in the uh, the Rebel Stakes, uh, the prep for the for the Arkansas Derby. And then there's there's a handful of others in there as well. Yeah, I think Angel of Empire is in there, too. And I looked at um, when that field came out a few days ago, I looked at it and I was like, well, this race is rough because there's a lot of horses that I haven't even heard of. And there, and I feel like I paid pretty close attention to the Triple Crown Trail, and I I looked at both those races, and I was like, geez. And I, I don't even think it's that these three olds are bad. I think they're just all so evenly matched that it's it's just it's difficult. Well, they're lightly raced. I'm not yeah, sure that has a lot too. to do with it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it used to be when everybody had twelve or fifteen starts coming up to the Derby thirty years ago. Yeah, those even, days are long gone. Even last year, it seemed like there was just more experienced horses in the past couple of years there there's just like there's a lot of recently like broken maidens in these races and a horse with just like one win that it, it's so hard to gauge so when something happens i can't even really be that surprised about Average. it because none of it makes any sense right okay caitlin well we're gonna let you go now we, we okay. as always we we greatly appreciate your time and always uh, look, yeah look forward to uh to seeing you one more time this weekend at turfway uh, and analyzing the races, and of course, uh, won't be long till uh, we'll all be coming to Louisville. And uh, well, she's going to live in Louisville. You're moving to Louisville, right? I am. So that'll be that'll be great. But yeah, I'm going to close out strong here at Turfway. Take a couple of weeks off, recollect my thoughts, and then start back up again. All right. So all right. well, the beer's on Caitlin when everybody comes yeah. to Louisville. So. <laughs> when the Sounds train arrives. All right. Thank Appreciate you, Caitlin. Caitlin. It's now time for another Kentucky racing memory. Presented by the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. The year was 1992, and while the racing world was buzzing about the return of the two-year-old champion Arazi, our local three-year-olds were battling each other to prove that they belonged on the same stage as the European sensation. That year's Arkansas Derby pitted the Jim Beam Stakes winner, Lil E.T., versus Pine Bluff, the winner of the Rebel Stakes, and a local hero for Arkansas native John Ed Anthony. After three quarters in one and three, here they come into the stretch of the Pine Bluff got the upper hand on Lil E.T. that day, but both pressed on to Louisville to face Arazi in the Kentucky Derby. Bet down to four to five favoritism, Arazi launched a bold rally that drew him even with the leaders at the top of the stretch, but he couldn't sustain his rally as Lil E.T. sent off at 17 to one, rolled up to his outside and passed him and the other front runners down the stretch to go on and win. Side, then comes Lily T. Arazi is now charging up in the middle of the racetrack. Arazi is flying, moving around the far turn. Dance floor has the lead. Pine Bluff is second, casualize is third, and Arazi on the outside is gaining ground with every stride. Dance floor at the rail with a short lead. Arazi is next, middle of the racetrack, Lily T. Here comes casualize, putting in a run between horses. And down the stretch they come. Lily T on the outside with Pat Day takes command. Casualize is second and the others are dropping back. Coming through the stretch and to the wire. Lily T on the outside. 
second. Lily T wins the Derby by one with Pat Day aboard. Pat, congratulations on your first Kentucky Derby win. Thank you. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Lily T gave Churchill Downs' winningest jockey, Pat Day, his first and only Kentucky Derby winner, doing the same for local trainer Lynn Whiting and his owner, Cal Partee. Pine Bluff went on to win the Preakness Stakes at Belmont two weeks later to frank the form of that year's Arkansas Derby. Join us next time for more Kentucky Racing Memories. Yeah, we need to thank Caitlin. Uh, she's, she's, a, she, she's not just a friend of the pod, she's a close friend. We pull for her, we think she does a great job, and we're always excited when she stops by, especially to recap one of my favorite tracks, Turfway. So thanks again, Caitlin. And uh, we're going to segue into something else right now because uh, I think Cece a couple of weeks ago mentioned to me personally on this podcast, she said, he said, if you could have anybody on this pod, who would be your dream guest to get on this podcast after 140 episodes? And I answered fairly quickly, didn't I, Cece? I said, I want either Scotty Davenport, head coach of the Bellarmine Knights, or Susanna Hoffs, the iconic lead singer from the Bengals from the 1980s. And, well, we decided to take a shot and go for the sexier one of the two. So we have <laughs> Scotty Davenport of the Bellarmine Knights. Uh, easy call, right? Um, how you doing, Scott? How'd you like that intro? I, I've been called a lot of things in my life from a lot of angry fans, et cetera, but never sexy. <laughs> I thought I might mislead some of our uh, listeners with that. You know, how about a little uh, compensation? Or maybe can you hum a little few bars of Manic Monday or something, maybe? No chance. Oh, no chance. It. it was worth a shot. But now let's give you a more proper introduction, okay? Uh, for those of you who don't know, maybe live outside uh, Kentucky or whatever, or unaware of the amazing work that uh, Coach Davenport's done. He's uh, He just completed, I want to say it's your 18th year at Division yes, One, Bellarmine, 18 years. He's yes, won... 409 games by my last count. If that's wrong, update me, sir. Is it 409 or is it more than that? You know, we won 400 this year, and the night it happened, I had no clue. So I'm going to believe you when you say 409. You can always trust Wikipedia, Scott. Uh, you also, there's also a 10-year stint as an assistant to some guy named Rick Patino at Louisville, right? You 10 years at Ballard High, one of the premier high schools in the city of Louisville. And if that's not – you know, anything to sneeze at. He actually was an assistant coach under Denny Crum in the early 80s. So there's there's two Hall of Fame coaches on the resume right there alone. Um, I could go on and on, but to sum it up, here in the city of Louisville, he's a legend. Um, he's a big horse racing fan, too, so we're going to talk a little bit about that because, as we know, this is a horse racing podcast. So the Brandon and CeCe and I are all honored to have you on tonight, Coach Davenport. So thank you. Well, it's an honor, and, and I'll probably have more fun than anybody <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Uh, well, I guess let's start off with some couple. We got to go basketball first, right? This it is March. I mean, we got Derby coming up, but we got the hybrid of uh, one of the beautiful things about being in the state of Kentucky this this time of year. We have basketball. Well, we usually have basketball, and we have the and the Derby season coming along. So now that the season is over, uh, how's the off season treating you so far? Well, there's not really. There's no such thing as an off-season because that would mean – that would imply yes. you stop. So our philosophy is we don't stop. We never have started yet. That's not like that. So you're – it's, it's, it's just continuous. It's recruiting. And and to tell you the type of young men that, that we're so fortunate to coach, uh, you have to take two weeks off in terms of your practice, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The day we could start back, they suggested – it was on a Friday. They said, Coach – you know, we want to move the lift to five 
thirty in the morning, Friday morning. I said, "What is this coming from you all?" And they said, "Yeah." And, and their theory was they wanted to be the only ones in the gym. They wanted no distractions. Only people there were the people that cared about each other, and that was our team. So our lifts are at five thirty in the morning. Wow. Uh, you got some dedicated kids there, but I guess that's part They're of the incredible. success story. They, they success are incredible. Story. Uh, I mean, that came from them. You know, the greatest, the greatest goals are always set from within, not not from us. It's set from 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 them. And the reason what what we teach, you know, when they leave that huddle, who do they have? They don't have us. When they leave that huddle to go out to that jump ball, or they leave that huddle after a timeout, they have each other. And that's what we, we, we preach that constantly. Yeah. Your success at Bellarmine, um, is, is amazing. We're going to, I'm going to touch on here in a second. Uh, but something struck me as I was, I was going over this. I mean, I've known this stuff. I, again, I've, I'm a veteran Louisvillean. I, I know this, but I, I, this, this, this next item, it never really struck me until I read through it and thought about it. Because if, if you go over your decorated career, one thing in particular does stand out to me that, that, they kind of escaped me. You coach under the two legends I, ma- I mentioned earlier, Rick Pitino, Denny Crum, right? You, you, you coach at a successful high school for a long time. And then you've been 16 years now at a Division One school, and ev- and you've never left the city of Louisville. I mean, how many people can say that, 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 that all – that kind of – Well, nucleus. I did a, a two-year span. I was an assistant under Mike Polio at VCU. Okay, that's right. I remember reading that. And, you know, the great side of that, who was my fellow assistant on that staff? You tell me. Tubby Smith. Oh, my favorite mm-hmm. coach ever. No offense, Scott, but he We were assistant coaches together at BCU. That's going to really lead me into a question later, which you could probably guess what it might be. But uh, I guess what I was getting to is you're a true Louisville slugger. I mean, you've accomplished – how many people can say they've accomplished everything that I just mentioned and never and stay in the city limits? I mean, you're Louisville yes. through and through. It's been amazing. Um, you know, to get and to not get emotional, um, in the last 20 months, I have been to eight visitations or funerals. And yeah. they were teammates, classmates, two years older than me or two years younger than me. So it was a four-year span. And, you know, I go and I, I, I say my prayers. I pay my respect. And, I, and invariably... As I leave, uh, how come that wasn't me? Yeah, exactly. you know, a lot of them grew up very hard, and we lived in a in a blue collar neighborhood. That there was a lot of tough decisions to make, and how come that wasn't me? And the answer, and which which we teach our players, the answer, I was a part of something bigger than me, and and by being a part of something bigger than me, it brought out things in me that probably had no other way to be brought out. And, and I'm thankful of that every day. And that was the game of basketball. Um, my decisions were made in in what was going to be the best interest of the game I truly loved. Consequently, they just brought out things in me that had no other way of coming out. Halloween day, when I was nine, 15 feet from me, I was nine years old on a Sunday, Halloween day. You know, when when you're nine and Halloween's on a Sunday, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, and my father passed away of a heart attack 15 feet from me. One oh, my God. And I had a mother that grew up in Greene County, Kentucky, uh, 
one-room schoolhouse that ran our own business for 43 years. And um, you you think how do you how do you do that? How, how how come you were not these these classmates these teammates? Well, it was teachers, it was coaches, it was principals, system principals, counselors, um, and and I and the game of basketball. I, I'm the I, and I say this. You mentioned Coach Crum. You mentioned Coach Patino. Uh, we mentioned you know we talked off the air on about. You know, about, I talked about on there, excuse me, about Tubby Smith. I, I coached under Mike Polio. But you can go anywhere you want to go, any level, male, female, pro, college, high school. I'm the luckiest coach who's ever, ever coached any sport, ever, period. And it's, you truly believe that, don't you? It, it's sincere and it comes through. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. Well, the city of Louisville is fortunate to have you because. One thing about Bellarmine basketball that, you know, again, a lot of people don't know Bellarmine basketball outside the state, although they should, they're going to, um, is you taking that small school. It's a small school on Newburgh Road here. It's a, it's a private school. It's been there forever. But it, it was NAIA, NAIA basketball, right? NAIA back in no, the day. No, it was NCAA Division Two. Division, Division Two. I have a so tendency to get more. Three years ago, we transitioned to Division One. Division One, and you know that's a major step, right, for for schools. But you succeeded after winning so many Great Lakes Valley championships and a conference a conference championship. First year in Division One, you win the Atlantic Sun. It was the first or second year you win the Atlantic Sun tournament, right? Year two, we played for the championship in year one. We won it in year two. It's never been done in the history of NCAA basketball. And to give you a little reference point. Since the year 2000, there's been 39 schools transition just years since the year 2000, and nobody had ever won their 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 conference champion tournament championship. You know, and we did. Um, you know, it's ironic and it's a little bit funny now. So you talk about this was year three. Let's go back. Year one would have been two was 2020. Oh. Yeah, let's don't just make the transition. Let's do it during a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing, it's an amazing feat. And I'm sure we all know that if, and if there may be some out there don't know, ordinarily you win their conference tournament, you get to go to the big dance, NCAA tournament. But the NCAA has their archaic, bizarre rules that a school transitioning to Division One basketball cannot go for, I think, four years of the tournament, which we all, none of us agree that that makes any sense. But, uh, you know, it might be a sore subject. I don't know. Uh, how do junior kids deal with that? Um, I mean, I know you know the rules going I'm still, in. But I'm still dealing with it. My wife just walked in the room. She's sick of hearing it. I know. My staff's sick of hearing it. My administration is. But you guys, you know, you you don't know me personally. But just think this, what you do know of me. Three and a half minutes to go in a game, down four. What if our team quit? What do you think that locker room would be like? Yeah. It'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Right. So I'm not going to quit on them. This is our last year coming up uh, of the transition, but I will fight it this summer as hard as I can fight it because we talked about our lifts to 530 in the morning. I'm in there looking at those kids in the eye every single day. You, you bring an NCAA administrator into my locker room or into our weight room or our video area, and let them look those kids in the eyes and see how fast they change that rule. Yes, I have sir. begged them to come. I have said I, I will volunteer to pay their travel. We'll put them in the best restaurant. They'll eat at the best restaurant, put them in the best hotel. 
And, and you come tell those kids why they can't play, and they will not come. Yeah, I get it. There's no justification for it. Uh, no, it's it's no. it's you can't you cannot come up with a legitimate justification for it. Everyone in the country wants to see it, and it kind of leads me into my next question because it's what's really unfortunate about it is in this day and age of parity and, and a more equal playing field in Division One basketball, we've seen it this year in the tournament. We all know that's that's the way the game has evolved, right? If things are getting a little more equal across the board for the sure. uh, the Blue Bloods, so when you see the Florida Atlantics, yeah. the Princeton's, uh, the Fairleigh Dickinsons of the world. You and your kids had to think, you know what, why not us? Just let us get in. Why not us? And we can be the ones uh, making those shots in the Elite Eight and, and, and having another one shining moment play for us. Why not, Bellarmine? I, I mean, again, I, I refuse to stop um, on behalf of these players. It's not one thing to do with Scott Denver. It has to do with these players. Right. And, and the reason – you, you, you brought up we won the ASUN Conference Tournament Championship on March the 8th of 2022. Well, let's go forward two months to May 14th of 2022, right? We had five seniors. On May the 14th of 2022, they were awarded and earned eight college degrees. Wow. wow. Three masters, two masters in business administration, a master's in education, and five bachelor's degree. And you're going to tell my kids they can't play? Stupid. We know that, right? We, you we now know. have my, you now have my blood pressure going quite good. <laughs> I have to, we're going to bring it back down because we're going to talk about something that brings, that has people's blood pressure elevating back and forth. That's horse racing in a little bit. So that'll help a little bit. Okay. But before we get to that and I kick some other, my other buddies who are dying to talk to you, Scott, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up what it's like to coach under Rick Pitino, to coach under Denny Crum, to coach uh, alongside Tubby Smith, three of the absolute greats in this game. I'm not just saying that as I'm a Kentucky fan, right? But I'm also uh, a realist. Those those are great, great coaches. Uh, you are too. So what was it like well, learning from them? People. And, and huh? what's great about it, they're better people than they are coaches. But what's great about it, the first lesson you learn in coaching, is there's more than one way to be successful. Right. No different than training horses. Not every trainer trains the same way. Some work fast, some work slow, some work more frequently, some don't, some have long gallop. You know, it's a different way to be successful. But what's interesting about Coach Crum, Coach Patino, Tubby Smith, Mike Polio, what's interesting is they oftentimes all thought the game should be played the same way from a fundamental standpoint. You you use a backboard or you dunk it with two hands. Uh, You play off two feet under control, you know. But they taught it totally different. Coach Patino taught it like a high-strung Italian, and you all seen Coach. You can imagine how he taught it. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) Coach Crum was a math major, was very analytical. And very, uh, you know, th- this shoot that ball at that 45-degree angle using that backboard. But they both thought the game should be played the same way, but they taught it totally different. Totally different. 180 degrees different. Um, and But I cannot be Coach Crum or Coach Kino. I've right. got to be me. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. My mother passed away 13 years ago, and right before she died, she told me, 
She said, you know, Scott, if you work really hard, you might get a real job, make something out of yourself. <laughs> Thanks, and, Mom. Well, people laugh, but you think about it. I've never had a job. A job, if you, if you look up the word vocation, that's a job, vocation. Well, I've had an ad vocation, which means I've been an advocate of these young people that I coach. And why? Because I know what coaches did for me. So is is that your proudest accomplishment, is is seeing these young men succeed, raising and watching them go on to be great people, great students? Is, is there's no the question of- about it. I, today, uh, there's no question about it. I call them emotional paychecks. You know, the real paychecks, only the bank will only cash those one time. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, I, I try to tell them if you let them do them over and over, but they don't think that'll work. Uh, emotional paychecks, you cash a lifetime. We, we had a young man that graduated last year with a master's degree named C.J. Fleming. Uh, he's from Cincinnati LaSalle High School, home of Mick Cronin. Uh, and, and he played for his dad in high school. His dad was a tremendous high school. Dan Fleming, a tremendous high school coach. C.J. Fleming played for us five years because of COVID, earned his master's degree. He was, he was a freshman coach at uh, Walnut Hills, Cincinnati this year. And I've spent the better part of a week speaking to an athletic director that I would know if he walked, walked into my house and he was interviewing CJ to be a varsity coach on one year experience. And I was doing a radio interview today. It's ironic. Actually, I was on the radio with Dick Vitale. Wow. Well, you really stepped down to class with us, but go ahead. my, My phone's blowing up and I can't answer it, but I, it was CJ. And in a commercial, I call him, he got hired. He got hired today. That's awesome. That oh. interview last night. So, see, that's an emotional paycheck. If you would have heard CJ, I mean, there's almost two of us out in tears. And, and, and you know, it, what you've got to look him up, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids that look like CJ Fleming. 5'10", kid, it's a good shooter, but his shot is horrible, but it goes in. But he's going to draw more charges. He's first on the floor, ever possession, gets a master's degree, got married, started his family, and got a varsity coaching job today. That's an emotional paycheck. And those have to be the most rewarding, I would say, they, right? Because you That's, can cash them a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can cash those a lifetime. And that's why every day I get to go to work. It's not I wake up and I have to go. There's a big difference. Well, that's that's very inspirational. Um, the basketball is a passion for you. This is teaching is a passion, right? It, it is. It sounds like it. And it is, te- it is teaching. It is teaching. I, um, I mean, go you, ahead. You know, it, it's it's. Um, I'm glad you used that word because it it, it is teaching, and. It works for us. Um, but it, the way we play is a fun way to teach. It's a fun way to, to, to play. Well, you are fun to watch. It's, uh, you play at Freedom Hall these days too, right? The home of the, we do. Some of your, it's, uh, the home of the old Louisville Cardinals where Louisville Cardinals used to play at. So that's gotta be fun. It kind of comes full Freedom circle. Freedom Hall has right? hosted more NCAA Division One national championships than any facility in history. I did not know that. Now there's it's, cities like Indianapolis, San Antonio, New Orleans. There's cities. But they've all changed facilities. Freedom Halls hosts six national championships, more than any facility in the history of NCAA college basketball. 
got to come full circle because you coached there as an assistant, right? And now you're playing your home games there. It's kind of amazing how the world works sometimes, isn't it? How I won a state championship as a high school coach at Ballard High School in Freedom Hall in 1988. So to say that that place has a, a little piece of your heart is an understatement, right? Well, I lived on Central Avenue growing up right down the street from Freedom Hall. I probably know more ways to sneak into Freedom Hall than anybody in history. <laughs> Louisville games, Colonel games, concerts. Uh, I, can, I can get in Freedom Hall, trust me. You know, and we just – so speak, I'm glad you brought Central Avenue up because it gives us a chance to segue a little bit before I kick it to my buddies here. For those who don't know, once again, Central Avenue is the home of Churchill Downs, which is near Freedom Hall. And you grew up near there as a young man, and we talk about basketball being a passion – but I'm going to kick it to Stacey here, but that's not your only passion. And I think you're a pretty good horse player. I know a little bit about horse racing, so I'm going to let Stacey maybe touch on that if he hasn't doesn't have something to talk about first. Stacey? We've got a lot of ground to cover still. But uh, you, you, we've already covered that you worked for or you, you served under uh, Coach Crumb, Coach Patino. You served alongside as an assistant with uh, Coach Mick Cronin, who's now at UCLA. Yes, sir. My first question. I, I know all three of those gentlemen like to play horses, uh, maybe some more than others. My question to you, first of all, if you four gentlemen were locked in a room and there's a TV with a racetrack feed and you all have access to your uh, your ADW account, who comes out of that room with the most money? Huh. Good question. Oh, wow. Oh, man. That I have never in my life been asked anything like that. Be honest. Golly. <laughs> you, you know, here's why it's difficult to answer. You only hear from people when they win. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Coach Crump could come in my office and, and brag, I hit this try. You know, I hit this super. But he never came in my office and told me when he got beat. <laughs> and, and Mick was the same way. <laughs> And Coach Crum was the exact same way, and I'm the same way. Um, golly, I'm gonna say if I had, if you pin me down with an answer, Mick would win the most money. Wow. Really? Okay. Yes, Mick, Mick. When Mick was a student at LaSalle High School in Cincinnati, a student, he would leave. His dad was a paramutual clerk at River Downs. Mick would literally leave during like a study hall and go bet a couple of races. Next thing you know, there was there was teachers. There was teachers at LaSalle sending bets with Mick to Riverdance. <laughs> you know, this was before any internet wagering or anything like that. But I would say Mick. I would say Mick. I I'm pretty I'm pretty decided. I know I I know Mick would win the most. Love it. Coach Last spring, we had a trainer named Paul McEntee on who had just won a maiden race at Keeneland. And we kind of learned from him his uh, his philosophy is to buy less expensive horses at the yearling sales that have been overlooked. I kind of guess that you're kind of in a comparable situation because you, you're you not going to have the budget that like the Dukes and the Kansases and, and the Kentuckys of the world have. When you're trying to fill out your roster every year, it, would you would would you say that's a a sound comparison? That's absolutely a perfect comparison, 
but it'll it'll also get this statement. Oh, how about that ringtone? <laughs> Love it. Huh? The truth of the matter is, in my opinion, the biggest lost art in college basketball is the ability to judge talent. And, and I'll defend coaches at the highest level because I was at that level. There's so much pressure due to social media and, and services that rank recruits, et cetera. But nobody knows how accurate they are. But the pressure is you've got to take the five-star kid. This Final Four right now, North, you know, uh, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, there is not one McDonald's All-American on any roster. Not one. There we go. You know, how, how does that happen? Well, it, it's so difficult, but the ability to judge talent um, is, is what we have to base on, not where they are when we sign them. And then the second component is player development, and we put huge, huge emphasis. That's why we're in that weight room at 530 in the morning. With McEntee, I, I, he, he talked about, you know, when he's buying horses at Keeneland, he's got to look at almost 2,000 horses, you know, to come up with uh, right, right. the ones that he wanted. Is that the same with you? I mean, like yeah. like Duke's, Duke's probably going to look at the top 100, 200, but you're going to have to look at a whole broader base of, of potential uh, uh, athletes, right? Let's say that we're at an event. Let's say we're in uh, Charlotte. I'm going to be there for three days. They may fly in and be for one or two games and fly out on a private plane and go to the next spot. When I'm there, I'm going to be there for three days. And, and th- I'm going to be there at the 8 o'clock game in the morning. I'm going to be there at the 8 o'clock game in the evening. Yes, yes. Now, we narrow it down, uh, and we're very, very selective. It's ironic. People ask me, how has Bellarmine – I came to Bellarmine in the spring of 2005. That season, the, the previous season to me coming, Bellarmine won nine games now. Six years later, we won a Division II national championship, went to four Final Fours. Now we've gone Division One. You say, how has that happened? And I'd love to tell you, well, we run this offensive set or, you know, we do this or we, we play defense this way. Now, all that's, you know, there's parts of a little bit of everything. But the one reason for our success, the greatest reason, trumps everything. Best recruiters in our program, it's our players. If you if you have a medical practice and you have five physicians and you're going to add six, if you've got five superstar, great physicians, great people, the sixth one would want to join that team. The same in a law practice or a, an accounting firm. And what happens, you know, yes, we're around those players a lot. But in the reality, who are they really around all the time? Their teammates. That's who they room with. That's who they end up being in their weddings. Last summer, on a on a Saturday and the following Friday, we had two weddings, one in Cincinnati, one in Louisville. And there's five former players in those weddings, and they never met them till they never met them till they came to Bellarmine. Enough basketball for now. I want to get into horse racing, <laughs> but before we do, uh, Brandon Jaggers has joined us. He was a little bit late. Apparently, he got he got held up in traffic. But Brandon, are you there? Oh yeah, I'm here. Okay. Do you well, have any Brandon, questions? You'll, you'll, you'll run in the morning at five, Brandon. Yeah, I, you know, and I need it. I would do it if you called me, and I would probably be there. You know, regardless of my six-month-old baby girl and my wife, 
who also kicked me in the tail for other reasons, uh, to get me straight. But, you know, I started thinking so much, you know, because we're, you've come to talk to several lunches I've been out here in Louisville and, and I told my wife, I was like, I'm not missing this podcast. Like, this guy is a motivator beyond anything else. And you inspire people to do better, you know, because just like you said, just so many positive things. But I got I got one for you. It's just going to make you twist your mind. If you could draw a comparison, because, you know, we're a Kentucky horse racing podcast. If you became a backside trainer. Who, who do you think you would closely resemble as a trainer? But but the other thing is your your infectious personality. I mean, I I think you can go off and do anything, anything that you wanted. You can be the Brad Coxes or the Todd Fletchers. But who, who do you think? There's you no know? doubt. It, it takes me one second. I'd be Wayne Lucas. <laughs> boom, boom. Now, I, let me tell you why. Okay, ah. Started going to the backside derby week in 1984. Swell, right? And as those years continued, I'd go every week. I would go with Paul Rogers, who at that time was doing, was still doing Louisville games. Well, there was no press center, there was no press conferences. You just came outside of your barn and you held court. Yeah. And I just stood at Wayne Lucas's barn. I read every article. And back then, you had to research newspapers. I, I, re- I did all the research because he was a high school basketball coach in Wisconsin. That's right. That's right. Yes. And I listened year after year after year, and it was attention to detail. He had signs in his barn, be positive or be gone. It was on and on and on. Well, I write a two-page handwritten letter. In 1989, to Wayne Lucas, and I, I, I wrote him that I uh, that I've stood there for years and listened to him, and I sent it to the backside office at Santa Anita. I had no had no address, and about a week later, I was leaving my office at Ballard, and my phone rang, and I ran inside, I had to unlock the door, unlock the office door, run in there, and I answered. I said, "Basketball, Scott, it's Wayne Lucas." <laughs> I said. Yes, sir. And he said, I got your letter, and I'd like to meet you in person. I'll be in the barn in the morning. So I got there at quarter till five, and he was already there. And we started a relationship that evolved. And at one point, you know, as a high school basketball coach, one of your chief jobs is fundraising. I mean, you're you're not. Louisville, you're not Kentucky, you're not Duke, you got a fundraise. And I came up with this idea and I sold our parents' group, our boosters. We had what was called a day at the races with Wayne Lucas. This was in a, on a Sunday in the fall meet at Churchill Downs. The yeah. sixth floor of the old Sky Terrace had 80 tables of eight. That's 640 seats. <laughs> and, and, and we advertised it that Wayne would speak. And when after we had the first one, everybody took pictures and they came back the next year to get him to sign. Them. And we were making anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year for our basketball program on a day at the races with Wayne Lucas. Awesome. 
and he would give back. So that relationship, then I coach at Louisville, and I met Bellarmine. Now, here's what's ironic. This year, Monday night of Derby Week, uh, yeah. Backside Chaplaincy, uh, Pet Day's group, they have a huge fundraiser uh, at Churchill. And I am honored. I am going to be the MC, and I'm going to introduce Wayne Lucas. Wow. Yeah, you know, how about that? Dallas Sturt's one of my best friends in the world. I just got off the phone with him. He just got back in Louisville yesterday. Uh, yeah. The, you know, and I was on the, the, the board of directors of the Backside Learning Center, which we helped all the Backside uh, people. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's part of my life. I wouldn't trade where I grew up. There's people I went to elementary and junior high and high school with that look you in the eye in the eighth grade and tell you I'm going to work at Churchill Downs. Some of them <laughs> have already worked there their whole life and retired from there. Yeah. So Churchill Downs was a fixture in my life. And I did. Y'all made fun of me before we came on. I did park cars in my yard. I did. That's awesome. I mean, uh, if, if I was 11 years old and I made $50 and my mother's yelling at me about, you keep that money, you can go to college. I'm like, college? Why would I ever need to work the rest of my life? I got $50. <laughs> how much did you get a pop? How much did, you, how much did it cost to park one car back then? Back then, like five dollars. Was it now on Derby Day? A hundred? Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. I grew crazy. up with guys. And we still make fun of each other. <laughs> well, that that's a great answer to the question. A full circle. I think uh, you called upon the podcast, or me personally, I'll be on the backside on Monday of Derby Week, and I'll definitely contribute. Pad Day's been a former guest of the pod. Uh, very inspirational. But I tell you, you're number one in my book. You, you, you're selfless. You give so much time and effort to others. Uh, I was telling everybody on the pod, I was like, this is such a huge uh, honor tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me to go run a marathon. I train to go <laughs> run a marathon. But I need you to call me every once in a while to in- inspire me to get up and go do it. My wife well, ain't going to like that. You, you brought up about, you know, Coach Patino when y'all were asking about, you know, how were they different and what set them aside. I'll tell you my favorite Rick Patino story. Uh, he had never kept a coach from a previous staff ever. So the two weeks from time to time he's hired till he's naming his staff, he had named Kevin Willard, who had been with him, uh, who's now Maryland's head coach, who had been with him with the Celtics. And he's in a process of hiring Mick. So he comes in one morning. We're doing individual instruction at 730. And I've already got the players on the court, got them loose, ready to go at 7 o'clock. Well, he walks in and said, Scotty, let me see in the coach's locker room. Well, what do you think? What do you all think went through my mind? You're done. That's yeah, it. Yep, yeah, yeah, you're without a job. And I walk in there. And he says, uh, he said, Scotty said, I've never kept a coach from a previous staff. I said, yes, sir, coach. I, I interrupted him. I know you all find that hard to believe. I said, <laughs> I, I said, coach, I'm well aware of that. And he lost his train of thought, and he said, what? I said, Coach, you're at Kentucky. You were at Kentucky. I'm at Louisville. I, I've read every book. I've listened to every radio show. I know everything about you. And he started laughing. He said, but I, I'm keeping you. I just don't want you to say anything until I'll announce it next week. I said, yes, sir. And he walked away, and I said, Coach, you, you'll never regret this. I promise you. Well, he hires Mick Cronin. So now it's Mick Cronin, Ken Willard, and myself. Coach. 
Well, Coach is four years older than me. At that time, Mick was 35 and Kevin was 25. So you see that the rate, I was 45. So mm-hmm. Coach was 49, I'm 45, Mick's 35, Kev's 20. So he immediately, we go, we finish the individual instruction, and we go up three flights of stairs. He turns around, and he goes, to tell you how thorough Rick Patino is, he turned to me and said, now, how old were you when you lost your dad? Uh, and before I could answer, he said, were you eight, nine, ten? I said, I was nine, Coach, Halloween day. And he goes, that's right. And he said, now, your boys rustled up. How old are they? And I said, well, they're eight and ten. He said, and your dad died of a heart attack. I said, yes, sir, Coach. And he said, name me one thing your dad ever saw you do. And I said, excuse me? And he started naming things. He said, did he ever see you uh, graduate from college? Did he ever see you, uh, you know, play in high school? Did he ever see you get married or start your family or win a state championship at Ballard? Name me one thing your dad ever saw you do. I said, well, Coach, I was nine years old. He never saw me do anything. He said, well, you can't look like that and work for me. And I want you to see Russ and Doug do great things. I want you to go meet with Reagan on our strength coach. Get yourself in shape so you see Russ and Doug do great things. So I walked down there and met with our strength coach. One year to the day, I lost 79 pounds. Wow. And there was no fast dives. It was get on the treadmill and it was run. Well, Russ has our only granddaughter, a little four-year-old named Wren. She's a princess. Doug is two years younger, and Doug will be the next head coach at Bellarmine. That's already been announced. So he knew the button to push. He, he knew how to trigger, and he said, now what you don't get is everybody in this program, those players will be amazed at what you do, and you will guilt them into being extraordinary. And it, it happened. And then in 05, four years later, we're in the final four. Wow. He, he's, he's amazing. He is amazing. And he's on to St. John's. You got to be happy for him, right? I can see Bellarmine playing in, in, um, <laughs> happy for you too, right? That'll work yeah, out. That'd be great. Yeah. Symbiotic he's, relationship. No, nah, he, he's, um, you know, I'll never forget that very same day. We went to see a young man named Antoine Barber, originally from E-Town. We were, oh, yeah. He was playing in a JUCO. And Coach turned to me, and he said, you know, there was a lot of people in the last two weeks didn't want me to keep you. And I looked at him like, I thought people like me. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, you want to know why? I said, yes, sir. And he goes, well, they told me you were so loyal to Coach Crump. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, you don't want to know what I told every one of them? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do want to know. He said, I told him I'm keeping him, and he'll be that loyal to me, too. You watch. And I've used that every assistant coach I've ever hired. Well, I do have a, a, a great horse racing analogy, though. 2011, 3.11 p.m. on a Saturday, the 20. Actually, it's the, the anniversary is today. We won the national championship, right? Mm-hmm. The second phone call on my phone was from Gulfstream Park, and it was Coach Patino. Really? <laughs> he said, I was sitting here at Gulfstream watching every race, but I've watched your game. And, and he goes, everybody in the place is looking at me because I'm screaming at the TV and there's no races being run. I'm screaming at a basketball game, and you're winning the national championship. It's, it's awesome. That's just amazing. Yeah, just amazing. well, 
I got to ask, Coach, you know, because we're in the season, we got Keeneland starting up. Will you attend a Keeneland race, you know, one of the race days? And if so, what is your favorite, your favorite bet when you're at Keeneland? Oh, wow. At Keeneland. I'm a traditionalist in betting, you know, doubles, pick threes. Once you get past pick threes, I'm a traditionalist. I'm I'm an exactor or a trifecta guy. But one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in betting, win your first bet. Win your first bet of the day. Win your first bet of the day. And and that's, you know, so my first bet's going to be, you know, something I feel really good about. I'm not going in there going crazy. Because, you know, they do have that saying, gamblers money knows no home. Have you what? have you said it before, CC? I've heard of that saying somewhere. CC closes the show every week with that. Uh, does he really? Yes, he does. Gambling money ain't got no home. No, those no home. I'll tell you what. On our staff, when it was Mick and Kevin, and, when it was Mick and Coach and I, Kevin didn't bet as much. Oh, we would get in there and go crazy. I mean, in the spring of the <laughs> year, the, the fall meet at Churchill, you know, we're three blocks away. It, it was. It was amazing. Uh you know, it, it was it's fun. It really is fun. No, you got to hit him, hit him, CC with some stuff. Now you got to hit him. A lot of coaches fish and hunt, go play golf and do this and that. I play the races. <laughs> You're kind of coach, right, CC? Your kind of guy. Yeah. So, I mean, would you like to handicap some horse races right now? There's there's a couple big ones coming up this weekend. And I've got the PPs right here. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This man's prepared. Hit him, CC. Well, let's talk about uh, the one down in uh, South Florida. Florida Derby is coming up, and that is the 14th race on a 14-race car to Gulfstream, a mile and eighth, million dollars. And the heavy favorite for the Kentucky Derby drew the 11 hole out of 12 for Todd Pletcher and Rapoli Stables. And Rod Ortiz is, is riding. Uh, coach, uh, much has been made about the uh, the quality of this field. Plus the, the the Kentucky Derby favorite is basically in in one of the worst post positions. What uh, can you make sense of this Florida Derby? Well, I'm going to let you in on a scoop. Oh, and, and, and this is going to be with my heart, not not the PPs. So on Wednesday night of Derby Week, we have what's called the Davenport Derby Dash. We started this last year at Audubon Country Club. We sold out with 220 people. We generated about $130,000 profit. Now, you say, well, Coach, is that money going to Bellarmine basketball? No, it's not. That money was an idea of my youngest son, Doug. We started what's called the Davenport Family Scholarship. We don't endow a scholarship. We're the only school in the country that does this. That, That night, And this money we generate is for our student managers that do laundry twice a day, that that clean the floor, clean backboards, stock the locker room, clean the locker room. We have four student managers, and and we started a scholarship for these guys. Now, you think about a student manager. Well, let me give you a, a reference point. Jefferson County Public Schools here in Louisville, there's 97,000 students in Jefferson County Public Schools. There's 17,000 employees. The head of this school system, Dr. Marty Polio, 
is the head of all the 97,000 students. You, does anybody here want to guess when he was an undergraduate student at Indiana University what his job was? No clue. He was a student manager under Bob Knight. Yeah. Did not know you that. don't think that would make you tough and get you ready to take on some leadership roles? That's so true. <laughs> we started this scholarship fund. All right, let's go back. So we have some very incredible – we have an auction. Our auctioneer comes from the Keeneland Sales. Travis Stone, the voice of Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Derby, is our MC. We have awesome. Guest, we have guest handicappers, Danny Cronin, brother of Mick Cronin. He's the founder of Fat Bald Guy Racing. David Levich, the high school basketball coach slash, slash handicapper, and Kevin Kirstein from Churchill Downs. All right. This year, we came up with an auction item that we would like to get 1% of a, of a yearling for a syndicate to give us 1%. In other words, whoever bids on it doesn't have to make the, the payments. They just get 1%, right? Well, one of our biggest supporters is a gentleman named Ed Glasscock, and his dad, Ed Glasscock, is one of the founding members of Starlight Racing, Jack right. and Lori Wolf. So they gave us 1% of their class of 23. That'll be one this spring. And Jack Wolf is an, an amazing leader. Lori, I was on the Backside Learning Center uh, board with her. Jack Wolf said, Scotty, I'm going one foot. If we have three live derby horses, if one of them gets in Wednesday night of derby week, this auction winner will get 1% of a horse three days later in the Kentucky Derby. Whoa. Now that's incredible. Mm. Now, let me ask you this. So I, I said, what? When I was talking to Mr. Wolf, he was in the Washington, D.C. airport changing planes to go to Dubai last week. I said, Jack, are you serious? He goes, yes, sir, coach. We're going to do this right. He said, can you imagine NBC going to the paddock saying, see this couple, Mr. and Ms. Smith here? Well, Wednesday night they were in an event for some student basketball managers at Bellarmine University. And tonight, because of Jack and Lori Wolf, they're in the paddock at Churchill Downs. It's amazing. How about that for a story? That's a great story. Now, you know, if you get the right people at these auctions, there's no telling what that could go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Fort Bragg, I will be betting and cheering and screaming with my heart, believe me. Um, I, I think I, I wonder how conservative Todd will be uh, five weeks out. I really wonder five weeks out from the outside. But I said the same thing in the Holy Bull, and he just romped like a absolute champ. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Fort Bragg is probably going to be second or third choice in here. He draws one spot inside of Forte. Fort Bragg is Yeah, he's, he's second choice in the morning line at 5-1. to one. Yeah, you get Joel Rosario and a horse that probably comes off a not a great effort in the San Felipe, but prior to that, I, I, I remember this horse's mother. This horse the the mother was March Express. I believe Pletcher trained that filly or that mare as well. And she had a tremendous turn of foot on the grass. And if she's passed that on at all to Fort Bragg, this horse should be uh, something to be reckoned with. Yeah, I hope so. I'm going to be screaming. You know, there. Are, you know, I know we're going to talk about the Arkansas Derby, too. Reincarnates in there, and we know he's live. So, uh, yeah. 
it's going to be a big Saturday for for the for the Devonport Family Scholarship. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about this Arkansas Derby uh, in Hot Springs. First of all, you ever been to Hot Springs? I never. I have no, because of the timing of it. That's impossible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Obviously. Yeah. So yeah. Again, a mile and eighth. Uh, One point two five million dollar purse. And uh, unlike the Florida Derby, this is a bit more of a. Uh, uh, it, it's more wide open. Uh, Rocket Can, who was second to Forte in the Fountain Youth, shows up here. Uh, like you said, reincarnate for for Starlight and Madiket and 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 those guys uh, will be one of the favorites. Uh, coming off a traffic traffic filled third in the uh, Rebel Stakes. Uh, uh, any thoughts, Coach, on the Arkansas Derby? Well, again, it gets hard for me. Uh, the two Interlock Empires owned by the Mackin family, Lucky Seven Stable with Kenny McBeak, and the Mackins are, are tremendous, tremendous supporters of Bellarmine basketball. Kenny McBeak has been a tremendous supporter of Bellarmine basketball. You know, you go back to the Florida Derby, Dale Romans is one of our biggest cheerleaders going. Dale really? Romans for us, oh my gosh. Dale Romans is one of our biggest supporters there there could be. So, you know, and then you see where Wayne has a, a long shot in there. See, I get torn when, when I've got reincarnate because of uh, Starlight, and then you've got, you know, Kenny McPeak and the Mackins. you got, you know, Wayne Lucas. I go back to, i got Dale Romans. It, it's hard for me to separate because I want them to win so bad. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I do. I, I do. It's the same with me and Dallas Stewart. Uh, the year I was hired at Bellarmine is the year uh, Limits Forever won the Oaks. Did you bet him? Did you bet him that day? 50 you don't to 1? want to know. I bet, I bet so many bets for so many people that I, and, and it was, I'll pay you, I'll pay you later, I'll pay you later, I'll pay you later. Get my bet down, get my bet down. I get everybody's bet down, don't have money to bet for myself. I walk over with her, she wins, and I didn't have a penny on a $96 horse. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Might be the toughest beat ever, but I'm in the picture. It's how the day go. It's how those days go. They get complicated. Everybody's busy, and your phone. Yeah, so it, it is. It, it's you know, and, and I get text after games from these guys, and you know they want to talk basketball, and I want to talk you know horse racing with them. I got a question for you, real quick, Coach. Because Dallas, did you get a redemption this weekend? Because Dallas had a forty-five to one shot. First timer went on Louisiana to read the fairgrounds. Did you get any your money back on that one? Well, I was recruiting. Oh, my son, <laughs> my son who um, now that you've brought that up was was the past tense going to be the next head coach of Bellarmine. He gave it to <laughs> Glasscock. He gave it to one other guy, and oh yeah, I should have called you too. I should have called but you too, I Dad. Did not get the call. Oh my God! Would he pay ninety something dollars, ninety five dollars, something like that? Yes, it was unbelievable. They oh, could not. That Dallas honestly couldn't believe the horse was that long of a shot. He said, "You know, I, I understand based on PPs and you look at works, et cetera, but I mean, he, he, you know, he knew the horse could run some, and then you know, he pulls a Dallas Sturt and it pays, you know, <laughs> six dollars or whatever it was. He called so, it Dallas Stewart. <laughs> so let me tell you. So you know the feeling, Coach. So now you have my phone number, right? So when you get a 40-to-1 tip from Dallas Stewart, you need to remember that feeling and send it to your new buddies 
Allen and CC and Brandon at the auxiliary it, gate. It, it gonna, is. It, it's pinky swear. You know, where I grew up, man, it's hard to tout people though because if it doesn't hit, you feel bad. And I, we don't care. No one else will hear we lost. Nobody you cares. know, I tell you what I love to do. I love for in, in the fall getting and making seven or eight winter book bets. I love that. And we, boy, I've been close. I mean, I've been close at, at some, like, major, major, major scores. I've bet some horses at, at 125, 200 to 1. And, you know, Dallas had commanding curve. Yes. And, and, and I mean, I had commanding curve. You don't, I won't even, I'm not going to brag about the numbers, but trust me, it was life altering numbers. <laughs> <laughs> we believe you. We believe you. Instead, instead, we went to dinner and he bought down. Well, take what you can get. That's like getting the show ticket, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It's okay. Gamblers love no fill holes. I'm fine. Coach, are you going to be at uh, on the backside Derby week? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm giving a uh, a tour Monday morning for a charity. I'm going to take some people and give them a personal tour. And then one of the auction items at Wednesday night at the Davenport Derby Dash, I will meet a group at uh, 6 o'clock on Thursday morning, right after that all-nighter, and I'll take them to the backside. Yes, I will. Did you forget to schedule sleep? Sleep's overrated. When you work for Rick Patino, sleep's overrated. Try yeah. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, it's not overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer at this age. <laughs> okay, Alan. Uh, I want to know about the Dallas Stewart horse, and I know Dallas has tipped a few over the years or whatever. You t- you guys are really close. I mean, where where did this relationship go come from? He was well, he was Wayne's uh, assistant when I met Wayne. And then Dallas went out on his own. I was there the day Wayne gave him a pony, gave him the saddle, and gave him all kinds of equipment when he started his barn. It was a very, very emotional day. And then then Todd was there all the time, Mark Henning, Randy Bradshaw. I, I mean, you know, Wayne's late son, uh, Jeff. Uh, I, I, I made many a derby walk over the year. Grindstone won when he had five in the derby. I mean, I was, I spent half the day trying to calm Dallas down. I, I mean, he was going over the edge and, and I mean, you know, it was a big thing to have five horses come out of the same barn. And I'll never forget Dallas that day looking in grindstone stall and saying, you know, and this horse is going to run big. And lo and behold, late that day, he's first in Timber Country's third, third, you know, and beat Cavanier in the Kentucky Derby. By nose, beat Cavanier by nose that day, right? It was an extremely close photo, as I recall, right? Yeah, Jerry Bailey, it was it was unbelievable. Uh kind of no words to even describe it, what what it was like. And um their their work ethic is is beyond anything. When you work seven days a week, the hours they work, you talk about passionate people. Um I know this, when we bring recruits to campus for, for uh, official visits and we're going to show them campus, we're going to talk academics, we're going to talk basketball, we show them Louisville, it's our go-to move is a tour of the backside and breakfast at Wagner's Pharmacy. That's our go-to move. And you, and you land the players, right? It works, yeah, right? That's where we close. We close the deal right there at Wagner's. Yes, we do. If I could have played or jumped or done anything, you'd have had me sold at that point. I'll tell you that. <laughs> But, you, you know, know, at this you know, age. <laughs> and, and, and 
what it is because it is loyal. It's loyal. Yeah. And, and we do that, and, and those kids are amazing. And we tell them, you know, when you drive through the gates to the backside, you're going to see a side of society. You just left it when you drive through those gates. Mm-hmm. Those people back there, they're caring. Uh, they're giving. And, and the best in the world wins 28% of the time. The best in the world wins, you know, 27, 28, 29% right. of the time. That means you lose 70%. But they still plug away, right? They still plug away, and that's that's determination, that's passion, that's a love for the game, right? You know, and I've even got last year's stats. You know, Chad Brown won 27% of the time, Todd 22, Steve Asmussen 18, Brad Cox 24, Bill Mott 17. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right, here you go. Last question, right? And, um, see if I can remember what I come up with here off the top of my head. Two things, all right? I kind of touched on it earlier because your basketball, your horse racing, you grew up on Central Avenue. When I said earlier, you're Louisville through and through, you prove it. Basketball and horse racing, that's two ways to prove you're Louisville through and through. So because of that, you've got to be a giant Kentucky Derby fan, as we've alluded to. So I'm going to ask you two questions to close this bad boy out. Do you have a pick for this year's Kentucky Derby? Who do you, has anybody uh, caught your fancy yet? I know it's early. And give me your favorite Derby moment ever. Uh, whether it be in person, whether it be on TV, whether it's uh, something magical you saw, whether it's something you won, hit me up with those two. Well, you know, obviously I'm I'm all in on the Starlight horses. Uh, on Todd's group, I, 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 on Todd's group, I love Tappet Trice. Okay. I, I do. And, you know, Brad Cox, a fellow Iroquois guy, I kind of go away, and I think Angel of Empire is, is his live shot. Okay. Uh, Writing them down. My favorite derby moment ever would be Grindstone and that day of walking over there with five horses and having, you know, Serena Song, an absolute champion. Timber Country with Shaquille O'Neal and Horse Flesh. And, and who was Grindstone? Wins the Louisiana Derby, but he was an overachiever, mm-hmm. and a fighter, and he was doing it for, for Mr. William T. Young who might have been one of the greatest individuals and giving people I've ever met in my life. And, and to see Grindstone go over there, and he's an afterthought, and win the Kentucky Derby. And let's don't forget, Thunder Gulch is in that group, too. That is true, yes. You know, so you go over there and, 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 and come back to that barn. It, it, it was, uh, that's easily my favorite Kentucky Derby memory, without a doubt. Until this year, when you cash big or you see something magical, but now, until... if one, if one, if golly, if one, if we get somebody that's fortunate enough to buy this, this, you know, a part of this horse in Starlight, I, I just can't thank Jack and Lori Wolf enough. But the people Starlight, you know, Clint Glasscock, Ed Glasscock, they are they love the game of horses. They love it. And you talk about passionate owners. I mean, they love it. And they do what they understand, and they care about the game, and that's what we need. Um, Mick Cronin is a big part of the owner of Henry Q that ran third and fourth in the uh, Sunland Derby, and mm-hmm. they did nominate him yesterday. So maybe we'll see Mick back at the Kentucky Derby, right? Maybe. Well, he was, you know, we talk all the time, and he was worried about could he get a house here to rent this and that. I said, Mick, you can have my house. You're in the Kentucky Derby. I'll sleep in my office. You can have my house. That's right. 
I tell you what, Coach Davenport, we we truly appreciate this. I mean, we today we had Caitlin Free and Scotty D on, so it's been a heck of a it's been a heck of a podcast. We enjoy. We can listen to your stories all day. We'd love to have you back on at some point. Hey, and, anything I can do, you guys got my cell, and, and let's do this right up front. I want you guys to get together when we release our home our schedule next. It'll be August, early September. I want you guys to look at it, and then we'll we'll bring four of you, wives, whoever, and we'll sit you right behind the bench and freedom out one of our home games. My guest. We'll that is a, that's a date. Awesome. We are in. We're, we have to bring our wives. No, I'm just kidding. We love our wives. We're just kidding. I'll <laughs> bring my baby. Everybody we'll loves to kiss you babies. Get, how old is your baby? Six months. Young lady? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay, because if it was a six-month boy, my contract's not that long. I was already going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, I, I assure you we'll be there. I assure yeah, you. Yeah, you guys we... hit me up. Hit me up and you all stay safe. Thanks to you, yeah. everybody. Well, that was fun. Uh, again, in 139 episodes of this, we continue to find some of the coolest people um, around. Uh, and I've I've really enjoyed all of these. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we've got, it's like a new, a new rap duo, Caitlin Free and Scotty D. But uh, we knocked off a bucket list there with Scott Davenport. And you see why, right? Motivational speaker, loves life. If you don't live in the state of Kentucky, you don't realize uh, what he means to see, what he's meant to Bellarmine University. He's he's wonderful. And uh, they beat the University of Louisville this year. I know a lot of people did, but they still, that's an impressive feat for a school that size. And you, if you like the NCAA tournament, give them some time. You're going to see them end it when they become eligible, and they're going to be the Cinderella darlings. And you can see why with with a leader like Coach Davenport. Yeah, I hope I hope he gets to play in Hell a couple yeah. of those. Yeah, before he retires. It's that insane. Would be, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. They're in good hands because his son Doug takes over when he when he decides to step aside. Right. So they're in good hands. And it sounds like Mister uh, Mister Davenport knows a little bit about the horses too, which we thought he did. We thought he did, but he's, he's a historian and a gambler with it and stuff, so yeah. it's pretty cool. That'd be cool to to do what he did back in the in the eighties and nineties with the Lucas people. Mm-hmm. I'd say uh, it's it's nice he, that he enjoys it. And people that don't know this whole you know this corridor right here, you got the University of Louisville and Churchill Downs is essentially right next to it. I mean, what are they a mile or two apart? So uh, there's that corridor of action going on right there. And that's where he used to coach at with the University of Louisville. Freedom Hall is right right down the road. I mean, it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump, maybe a half mile. So I'd say he sp- spent some time in that corridor in his day. Real, there too. real quick, I, when he mentioned Lemons Forever, who won the, the – I can't remember what year it was, but he won the Kentucky Oaks for 2006, Dallas. 2006, 2008. Some, some, something like that. Uh, the only story that – pops into my head is I've, I have a, well, he, he's a, a guy I know that bet 50 to win on Lemon Forever. So what is that? $2,500 roughly? Well, yeah, sounds right. Okay. So he was talking to a girl from the Ukraine on the internet at this time. And he gave and her all the money like we do to Ukraine now. <laughs> but he, go ahead. he sent her all of the money and said, he did? I'm, I'm I was going joking. To, uh, no, he sent her the money, twenty five hundred. Said I'm going to the Bahamas, whenever that summer. We'll say, meet me down there. And he flew down to the Bahamas, and that girl showed up. She did show up. <laughs> she I showed up. And uh, then they, he, she flew back, and then he wound up flying to the Ukraine like the next year or something like that. But 
What'd she look like? Nothing ever happened of it, but it was funny. Uh, What'd she like, look like? I, I don't know. I don't. That's a long time ago. Twenty-five hundred hours. I'm gonna know what you look like, but anyway, <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. So I don't know. That that was that was a fun story. But anyway, uh, I don't have anything else. So. No, that's that's enough. Well, we enjoyed again both of our guests as always. Uh, have talked no Caitlin very well. First time we get to talk to Scott. It won't be the last time. All right. Well. That was that was cool. It was another new another cool addition to the Auxiliary Gate podcast. Uh, Got to get um, Susanna Hoffs now somehow. Everybody knows how to yeah. get me the lead singer of the Bangles. We need to do that. Yeah, you work on that. You work on that. See what see what happens there. But uh, you never know with us. You never know for some never, for some guys yeah. who aren't connected very well. We do pretty good getting these guests, don't we? I can get Rob Benefield. No, oh, that's impressive. Thank you, thank you. I just fell in my but, chair. So on behalf of Coach Scott Davenport. And Brandon Jaggers, who's already departed for the evening. Caitlin Free. Caitlin Free and Alan Schneider. This is CC Broadus. In the immortal words of Scott Davenport, gambling money ain't got no home.